Pianist Ted Firth considers himself first and foremost a jazz pianist, but loves the role he plays most often, accompanist to a wide range of singers from Broadway's Tom Wopat and Brian Stokes Mitchell to cabaret stars Karen Akers and K.T. Sullivan. With the release of his first CD, Starting Now, Ted comes into the spotlight and lets the rest of us hear what those singers have known for years, that Ted is one of the finest jazz pianists playing today. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Growing up pre-iTunes, Ted learned about jazz through his local well-stocked record store in upstate New York. When I was in high school, I grew up in a small town in upstate New York called Hudson Falls, and 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 getting my hands when I first started to have an interest in jazz, getting my hands on on tapes and CDs was a bit of a challenge because there there were no my, my parents didn't have much of a, a jazz record collection, and so I was mostly stuck going to uh, mostly going to the, the the local mall, which had a, a, a pretty fundamental. <laughs> You know, record store there pre iTunes. Um, this was oh, this is definitely pre-iTunes. it. Really, it makes people appreciate the great opportunity they have to be able uh, to go. I mean, now don't uh, you think about that? Uh, totally. I mean, and and I download. I downloaded things. I actually I downloaded things for this for this show that that I that I had either lost or or couldn't find or whatever. I know it's fantastic. So now you're in your mall. So I was in the mall record store and I'm looking for familiar names. I didn't know a lot of names and I had I had bought this one Miles Davis CD which was a little too progressive for me at the time and so I I had kind of given up on that. But uh, one of the people whose names I was really aware of was Herbie Hancock. Um, uh, I we we had played Chameleon in high school big band. And and I had the Headhunters record, which was that one that Chameleon was on, and those other funk version of Watermelon Man. I really loved that, so I thought, well, Herbie, I could go this direction. I could do that. And so, <laughs> so I'm in my mall record store, and I'm looking through the tapes, and I see this uh, this 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 tape. I forget what it was called, or something like the Jazz Side of Herbie Hancock. And it was obviously a compilation, but um, but the, the you know the cover photo looked like the Herbie that I knew, you know. It was like seventies vintage. He had this huge <laughs> afro, and you know, looked look. You know, I think he was sitting at like a Rhodes or something like that. So it, it had the right look. So I got it home and I opened it up, and what it was was a compilation of Herbie's uh, acoustic jazz playing that he had done for Columbia Records through the seventies. So it was a real mix of things. It was like the VSOP quintet, which was basically the sixties Miles quintet with Freddie Hubbard sitting in for Miles. There was some early Wynton Marsalis stuff. Which was like Winton with Herbie, Ron, and Tony, and that kind of thing, and um, and and then there was also like some 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 cuts from this uh, concert that they had recorded that Columbia had recorded of Herbie Hancock and Chick Corea. They used to tour. They toured in the seventies a few times, doing two piano concerts. Oh, and I wish I could have seen that. I know well, that I some I of their recordings. Too. I, I know. think they've. I think they've. I think they have done. I think they've. They've revisited it a little bit in the past few years. I don't think they've done any tours, but they've. I think they've done some concerts. But anyway. So and some of these two piano things that the titles were from, I knew Maiden Voyage they did Maiden Voyage they did Someday My Prince Will Come I thought well these are songs that I know but the very first thing on this was a two piano was was Chicken Herbie doing Liza now I didn't know the song Liza at the time and I just thought well I thought that was a Gershwin song that's kind of I know him that's good so I put it on and it starts out very straight ahead you know they're they're playing sort of a two piano sort of modified stride kind of thing and I'm thinking oh this is this is this is nice. This is cool. And the tune runs just under 10 minutes. And by the middle of it, 
they start to deconstruct it. So <laughs> I, there's this. I'm, I, you know, hopefully you'll you'll you know play a little of it. In fact, you better now now that I've kind of baited people into. <laughs> but this middle section where they deconstruct it, and they're always keeping the form. You can at the time I couldn't count along with it. I mean, I thought they were just off the wall. I thought they were just banging on the pianos. But they're keeping the form, and then when they get back to the melody, the release. I mean, you can hear this spontaneous applause from the audience. I mean, some people in the audience knew what was going on. And the tag, and then they t- the, the, the tag at the end runs for like a minute. I, I was, I just dug, I didn't know exactly what I was listening to, but all of a sudden I thought, well, this is, there was something, there was really something there. was something that really stuck with me at the time because like I said I had I had gone through this Miles record which was much too progressive for where I was at at the time. I was listening to a little bit of Oscar Peterson. In fact, I had this Oscar Peterson tape um, that I had bought uh, I think on a trip to Boston. They had a Tower Records in Boston and 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 to me that I was like, well finally here's a record store where I can get some stuff. I miss Tower. I miss Tower. Oh, I miss Tower too. And so I had this Oscar tape that I kind of wore out, and it was, a, it was some, some Carnegie Hall concerts. It was jazz and the Philharmonic stuff, but it was that early trio with Ray Brown and Herb Ellis. And I think on a couple cuts, Barney Kessel replaces Herb Ellis. But there was something about that playing that I really... There was something about Oscar that I really just... The pure joy of the music making came through. And that was really... That was, that was really... That, that, that connected with me, because the cerebral side of jazz escaped me at that point. I, I wasn't ready for that. 
Um, but just the fun, bluesy element of his playing. It wasn't so much the technical, you know, most people listen to Oscar Peterson and they say, oh, well, listen to the, listen to the technique. And that's true. I mean, the guy can, could play like, like, like hardly any, anyone else. But for me, it wasn't really the technique. It was just more the, just the fun. It just sounded, it just sounded like so much fun. I'm glad you talk about the joy in Oscar because that was what always got me too and that's what drew me to the people I liked the most mm-hmm. because anybody can have great technique if they practice enough. I mean right. almost anybody, but we know in our field at this level, it's all about just practicing, practicing, practicing. But to me, it was just that avalanche of energy. Yeah. It's like a, the bullet train coming through. Yeah, There's yeah, Oscar yeah. and you just went, yeah! Yeah. And so I felt with Buddy Rich too. It's the only person who ever made me want to play drums. Yeah. When I saw him, man, that guy's having fun. Yeah. This is, I want to be, I, I mean, I never pursued being a big band drummer, but I always think of him because of that great joy of thinking, yeah. God, that looks like fun. Yeah. The most fun, you know, the best thing in the world would be to be a big band drummer if you got to be Buddy Rich because of that great thing. But that's how I always felt about Oscar too. Yeah. And I feel that with your playing. That no matter what you're doing, and I've heard you in a bunch of different contexts, including tap dancers, which we were talking about right, earlier, our right. great friends, Melissa and Richard, that you really have joy in it. And that seems to me the thing that's most important to you is how are you bringing the emotion to it? Right. And that there is a difference because some players, it is all yeah. about the intellectual exercise, don't you think? I, I, I definitely think it is. And I think that's something that, uh, you know the the bulk of my the bulk of my work these days is done as an accompanist for singers, and uh, that's something that's that I've that I've been doing really you know pretty much the last eight years or so, pretty much since I've been working professionally in New York, and I think that's kind of one of the things that I think is a strength of mine is that I I like to have fun when I play, and I like the stuff is gonna swing. Well, just put everything into it and. Let it fly.
my guest, Ted Firth, from his new CD, Starting Now. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Much of Ted's time is spent accompanying singers and talk to me about a few of his favorites. As I was putting together this list, I thought it would be a shame. As, it, you know, as I was putting down my inspirations, obviously there's a few piano players on here and uh, some arrangers, and, and we'll talk about that too. But I thought, well, it would be a real shame if I didn't put on a couple of people that I work with and, and that, that have had that, that inspire me when I play with them. And of course, the list is very long, and I realized that I could, you know, offend so many people by leaving them out. So I just chose two a guy and a girl. Um, and I'll talk about the guy first. Um, about, oh, geez, about six years ago now, six or seven, um, I, I got a call to do some gigs here in New York with a guy by the name of Tom Wopat, who, um, at the time was in Annie Get Your, a revival of Annie Get Your Gun. That was a huge thing for him, yeah, too. Was, People were, really oh my huge, gosh, they couldn't really... believe he was so great. Well, the funny thing is with Tom is that he's a little misunderstood because of the Dukes of Hazard thing. And obviously that was a great thing for him because it, it provided him with a national presence. I mean, you know. TV. People right, watch TV. Right, made him famous, right. But the thing is, is he had a musical theater career even before Dukes of Hazard. Uh, he replaced uh, Jim Naughton in a Cy Coleman show called I Love My Wife back in, it must have been right before Dukes, so like late 70s. So his, and, and, and he's had a love of, of musical theater music since he was a kid. You know, he, he's loved, I know he, West Side Story and that kind of thing. He did a production of that, I think, when he was still in college and that sort of thing. So anyway, but yeah, Annie Get Your Gun really it was, you know, helped him out with with uh, you know as far as reestablishing himself as a musical theater performer. So and around that time, he he put out a record of mostly standards um, called The Still of the Night. And in support of that record, he was doing a little bit of touring and some live dates and 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 a couple of great piano players on that record, Larry Goldings and Rob Mounsey. And, uh, but neither of those guys really, I mean, they're both super high in demand. Neither of them really had time to, you know, the, the touring schedule didn't allow it, that kind of thing. So Tom needed somebody you could kind of count on to make a bunch of dates. So I wound up getting, getting called. And it was the first gig I did like that. You know, first thing I did where I was out of town a little bit and working with somebody kind of of that stature, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that was, that was really, really cool. But one of the songs on the still of the night is a Jimmy Webb tune called "The Moon's a Harsh Mistress." In fact, there's two Jimmy Webb songs on that on that record, and I, I love them both. But but I, I do kind of favor Moon over over the other one. See her how she flies, golden sails across the sky. Close enough to touch But careful if you try Though she looks as warm as gold The moon's a harsh mistress Moon can be so cold once the sun did shine. 
Lord, it felt so fine. Moon, a phantom rose through the mountains and the pines, and then the darkness fell. A harsh mistress. It's so hard to love her well. So now I'm dying to know who the woman singer okay. is that you brought. This is for, great. for equal time, and, and this is this is even more difficult because the the ratio of I work with so many more. There's so much. There seem to be so many more female singers mm. in the cabaret, jazz, musical theater realm than there are male ones. At least ones that are doing a lot of this kind of work. That it was really hard to choose. But in the last year, I found myself as a sub on a gig. It's actually kind of how I found myself. I, how I, how I, I've, I've wound up working for so many people, just subbing on gigs. It's been, it's, it's, it can be a little stressful the first couple of times, but it can be an awful lot of fun, and you get a chance to work with somebody. Sometimes some really cool people. Um, but in the last year, I found myself subbing on a gig with a singer by the name of Marilyn May, and Marilyn is is. Just starting to reestablish a presence in New York. She lives in Kansas City. And until a couple of years ago, she hadn't done a New York club engagement in, I don't know, 20 years or so. And so Billy Stretch, another great, wonderful pianist, usually plays for her. Um, but when Billy can't do it, um, I get the call. And it's actually been, been quite a few dates in the past year. So I've really gotten to know her, her book really well and gotten to know her. And it's been an awful lot of fun. And, but talk about, you know, I talked about how I enjoy Oscar as a high energy player and how I loved that. Well, I'll tell you, if there's an Oscar Peterson of the voice, I'd say right now it's Marilyn May. Talk about somebody, this is a woman who is of a certain age, but puts out more energy than, 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 it's, it's unbelievable. If you've, if anyone has never seen her live, Especially like in a club where it's up close, it's it's a force of nature. It's, it's <laughs> it swings. It's 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 something. I mean, I'm just along for the ride on those gigs. I'm just I'm just trying to keep up, and so uh, it's it's been great. And and uh, I the the track I brought along today is 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 an old arrangement off of. Uh, she does. I mean, she still does the arrangement, but the recording is is from. I would guess. I would guess the late 60s. I'm not really sure. And I think it's a Don Costa chart, but I'm not really sure. But it's one of my favorites. She does it, and it's one of the ones she does nearly every time she performs, and it just knocks me out every time. Move over, sun, and give me some sky. I've got me some wings I'm eager to try. I may be unknown, but wait till I float. You're gonna hear from me. Make me some room, you people up there. 
and my claim Remember my name You're gonna hear from me Fortune smiled On the road I saw Marilyn May on You're Gonna Hear From Me. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. For a discography of the music played on our show and a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about my music and what I'm doing, and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. My guest is pianist Ted Firth. It's interesting that you talk about that great energy that she has and you're just along for the ride. 
with Marilyn May because people are always talking because we're all living longer now and how do you have a, a great life and everything. And I know I'm always telling people that if you're creative, one of the great things we have is we're always challenging ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, most people, I'm going to make a terrible generalization, many people don't really change unless disaster strikes, unless they're forced to change. Right. As professionally creative people, we're constantly putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations to force us to change, taking a gig we're not familiar with, right. things like that. Yeah. But it's great because we're always changing. And I know from listening to you talk about her, I get that same kind of inspiration when I see one of these older performers like a Tony Bennett or mm-hmm. something who still have so much passion for it, but you know they've been challenging themselves all the way. Because we also know older people who've been in the business forever, and they just seem tired. And you know yeah. they were tired at 30. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. All, <laughs> it's I, I work with I work with some of them too, so... <laughs> But they'll remain nameless. Oh, they'll remain oh they, nameless. they sure will. Oh, um, that's funny. Well, what do you bring with some of these vocalists in terms of your jazz influence? Are they hiring you because they want to have a bit of a jazz sound? Or yeah, talk about that a little bit because you're okay. bringing something different. Because you know what I'm saying. There, there's real cabaret oh, there's, way yeah. of accompanying people, and I know you can do right, that too. Right. But there's hipper changes that right. are going to change the feel and still not make it a jazz night. Okay. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. And in and, and do you talk to them about that? So I'm curious oh, for me. I don't. I don't always talk to them about it, but I'm. That's that. That's great that you bring that mm. up. That is. That's something because it's something I've thought a lot about when I first started doing working with a lot of cabaret singers or even working with some cabaret singers about seven or eight years ago. I was coming at it purely from a from a jazz pianist point of view. Um, I didn't know a lot of more contemporary theater music, and by more contemporary music, I I don't mean you know, of the nineties or I, I mean, from Cantor and Ebb on up, mm, you know, mm-hmm. so, so basically from the late sixties on up, I knew a lot of the older theater music, the Gershwin's, the Cole Porter's, because those are in the standard jazz repertoire. But so I didn't know a lot of music. So, so, so repertoire wise, I was sort of at a disadvantage with some of those things. But like you said, one thing I brought to the table was a jazz harmonic sense. And, and there's not with, with, with 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 some guys that play for a lot of cabaret singers there's not so much of that happening so i think that i, I think certain i think certain people i worked with were attracted to the fact that i brought that to the table and and by way of that i decided that i was going to become more aware of this music that i didn't know and it was almost by osmosis. Somebody would, you know, slap some, you know, Sondheim tune on the piano and be like, well, we're going to do this. And I'd be like, okay, we will do this. And, and I would just, I would become acquainted with that song. You do this over and over and eventually you're going to, you're, this stuff's going to stick in your head. You're going to have a basic working knowledge of it. So that's kind of what's happened. I mean, I still think of myself primarily as a jazz piano player, but at the same time, I am whatever the gig asks me to be. I've kind of enjoyed, and I really enjoy that. I, I enjoy trying to play lots of different kinds of music. I'm not always successful at it, but I think I can at least on most nights do a pretty good, you know, get it into, get into, get it into the ballpark at least, you know, get it kind of in range. So that's definitely, yeah. And what you said about 
about but bringing a jazz harmonic sense was definitely something that that I that I'm aware of and that mm. I enjoy. I think I've always been a big fan of the piano's harmonic capabilities. I mean, let's face it, if you couldn't play more than one note on the th- at, at more than one note at a time on the thing, it would be a pretty useless instrument. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically we press the note down and all of a sudden it's just going away. It's not coming back. Right. Any other instrument, you know, I can make, as I'm playing a note, I can make it louder, I can make it softer, I can bend it, I can, you know, if it's a horn, I can do some, you know, like tonal tricks, you know, like, you know, stuff like that. With a piano, I press the note, <laughs> and it's just, it's just, it's gone. It's so true. if you couldn't play more than one note at once, the thing would be junk. It would be, you know, right. it, it would be, it that's wouldn't very be, funny. it wouldn't be a useful, so that's something when I was in college, I realized that if I started building up a harmonic kind of, you know, a, a, a good harmonic bass that, mm. that, that, that that could be useful. And I wasn't even thinking about playing for singers at that point. Mm-hmm. Who are some of your favorite accompanists? If you think of that, if you can think of anybody that well, you love what they do, and not just with singers, let's say singers and then instrumentalists that, you know, some people, because I'm always into how people comp and things oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, but yeah. who in terms of singers? Okay, well, it's funny you should ask. I brought some of them too. Um, I'm prescient. Um, when I was in high school, I took uh, jazz piano lessons from a woman named Lee Shaw in uh, Albany, New York, and she gave me more information than I could ever think to process at the time. But I think she did it on purpose, thinking that over the course of years I could, you know, go through it, and and that's what I've tried to do. And she was a just really the first great teacher I had. And maybe the best teacher I ever had. So I just only wanted to make sure I mentioned her in the course of this. But one of the things she did is she would make tapes of me of of every jazz piano player imaginable, as many as she could, and and stylistically as many different things. And one one day she gave me a tape. She said, "Here are some people who play well behind singers." So I went home um, and I put it in my tape player. And the first thing on there. And I was looking at the names on the back, and there was a whole bunch of names that I had never heard. And the first name on there was a singer by the name of Maureen McGovern, uh, accompanied by a guy by the name of Mike Renzi. And neither of those names meant anything to me at the time. Um, but and, and the song wasn't a song I'd ever heard. It was a song called I Like You, You're Nice, which was written by Blossom Deary. And I think she collaborated on it with somebody else, and I hate to say I can't remember who, but anyway, she definitely had a hand in writing the song. And it's just this little two-minute thing, one chorus of the song, but just the the, the playing, I was so I, I it I was just so taken in by what Mike was doing. I just thought, well, that it's not really jazz playing, but there's but there's jazz chords. I mean, it's definitely coming from a jazz harmonic place, and I really and I really dug it. But I was like, and then I heard her, and I was just like, well, she's not really a jazz singer. But she sounds, you know, she sounds great. I was just like, the phrasing? I was in high school. I didn't listen to a lot of singers. But I thought, this is really something. And I just kept listening to that over and over. And I really didn't know what to make of it at the time because I I didn't, if you said the word cabaret to me, I don't think I would even know, you know, whether you just spell it with a C or a K. Um, (laughs) And and so so I didn't know what I didn't, the whole concept of that kind of thing was very foreign to me at the time. I I was still wrapping my head around jazz. Um, but I really, I really was taken by it. Um, so then you fast forward a few years and I found myself in grad school working with some singers in New York and this one woman, 
um, said to me, she said, well, you know, I've worked with Mike Renzi a lot. I was just like, I know that name. <laughs> that was that guy that I listened to back in high school and that thing. She was just like, yeah, I used to work with Mike. He's really busy now. But I've got all these charts he did for me. So I would go over to her house and I would play through all these arrangements that he had done for her. And he actually played on a couple of her CDs. And so I listened, I listened, I wore those out. And just really, as an accompanist, he's really, he's really up there. Seems like I've known you for years But we met just a moment ago Wouldn't you know we're such old friends And I like you a lot So don't go You're nice You're very much me very nice we could be But we wouldn't have all that we have Let's never know and just be friends Cause I like you a lot So don't go Take me home and stay for a while with me If you're good I'll make you a marvelous, wondrous, and quite notorious cup of Costa Rican coffee, cause I like you. For our listeners who don't know about these kind of things and aspiring piano players and accompanists, when you say that you're looking at an arrangement Mm -hmm. that Mike had done, does that mean that the changes are all written out in terms of the voicings? Is he telling, are you playing it exactly or is there a lot of space for you? There weren't too many voicings spelled out, but it was mostly just the changes. There were some substitutions in there, things that I had, you know, you, you see it for the first time and you play it and you think, well, of course that's right. Of course that makes sense. But it's something you would have never thought of. Right. It was things like that that I was taking away. Mm. And then also comparing these, you know, the written or, and the written arrangements were obviously things that he had written out very quickly. You know, in, in, uh, like, you know, the singer told me sometimes, well, sometimes he wrote them out right on the record date. Um, and, and so sometimes they were, they were almost just sketches, but it was really just the, the changes, the harmonic, and then to listen to those records of how they turned out and then compare them to what I was looking at. Cause of course a lot of it is in the voicings in that kind That's of thing. That's what I meant. So I'm, I was curious what is actually there. Yeah, the voicings weren't really spelled out. If, when I tried to internalize those, I basically had to sit with a record and, and just, it was a lot of trial and error, just, you know, listening to stuff, putting my hands on the keys and being mm. like, well, it kind of sounds like it, that sort of thing. Well, it's interesting to say because people are always asking me that mm-hmm. and they're just generally asking in my case because I'm not using music most of the time and I'll be telling the guys what to do let's say how do you do it without music but then they should know that when you're looking at music you're still 
filling in oh, yeah. a lot. Yeah. You're looking at a sketch right. and sort of a roadmap of where you're going to go and key changes and things like that. Yeah. The kind of reading I do is all over the map. Um, it can be as simple as that, a very sketched out lead sheet. Um, or it can be, you know, the piano vocal score to Sweeney Todd. I mean, I practice, the, I don't, I, like I said earlier, I don't get, none of us get to practice as much as we'd like to. But when I do practice, one thing I do set aside time for is just working on my reading. Mm. Um, I read through, you know, opera scores. I read through whatever I can get my hands on. Just to just read to keep, keep your reading up. chops up. Because when I'm called on to do that, I, I really, yeah, I really, I, so much of what I do you never get enough rehearsal time either, so it's kind of on. It's kind of on me to get the job done when it, you know, when it needs to be done. So, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's what I, not not a ton, but when I helps to be able to do it when I need to. Oh no, so. absolutely for all of us. I, I put up things that I would never read in, in keys that I never play in yeah. things like that in the same way, and just force myself to do it. And it's yeah. the only way you're gonna do it. Talk about your new CD. Okay. Well, um, I made it, uh, I, 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 I'm terrible about doing my own thing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Um, <laughs> it's hard when you're used to accompanying or someone else telling you. That's a very difficult thing. It's difficult. And the other thing is that when you reach a certain level of, of success working on other people's things, it's very easy to just sit back and let the gigs come in and just, and just kind of cruise along and because, it's just fun. Um, you don't have to make any phone calls. You don't, have to, you don't have to, you don't have to hassle anybody for a gig. You don't have to, you just kind of, just kind of cruise along. And I, I've enjoyed plenty of that. Um, but I, I do, I do find every once in a while that, that somebody will come up to me after a gig where I'm playing for a singer and the singer will be selling their CDs and they'll say to me, they'll say, do you have a CD? And up until now, I've had to say no. And I've got an old, old friend who has actually appeared on this show, a guy by the name of Tony Desaire. We grew up together in Hudson Falls and, um, and have just remained close and in the same business, you know, I've known him since I was seven. And, um, and, and, and he's, you know, he's been making records for the past couple of years and I've, I've appeared on those records and he's, you know, he's done some gigs and I've done some orchestra charts for him and that kind of thing. We've, we've maintained a really nice, close, personal, really, he's the best man at my wedding, et cetera, et cetera. We've maintained a really nice, close and professional relationship for a long, long time. And, and, and Tony was really the driving force between me, behind me making this record because, he would just one day he just called me up and he said you're going to make the you're going to make a record i was just like yeah yeah i'm going to make a record it's the same <laughs> conversation we'd had over and over he's just like no he's like you're going to he said i'm going to call up nola studios and just book some time and you're going to have to show up <laughs> I said, "That's a good friend." I, it, it was time to. So whack I was over. It. I was over at his house a week later, and he he did it. He got on the phone. He called him up, and he he got you know he got Jim Zach the you know the proprietor on the phone, and he was just like, "What do you have open six weeks from now?" <laughs> he didn't even give you a very long time. No, um, but, which is good. Which was good. Um, and I I kind of had a rough idea in my head of what I wanted to do if and when I made a record, and it was basically that. Um, working with singers, I've been exposed to so many songs. I mean, just so many. There's just so many great songs out there. And I kind of figured that if I made a record, it should be song driven. I mean, obviously, I don't sing, 
But um, I just felt that if I made a record, for me to just kind of arbitrarily write some originals or, you know, play some, you know, Wayne Shorter tunes or whatever. Nothing against Wayne tunes, but it's not, it's not in my everyday life. Mm. It's not, it's not, it's not that I don't love it, but it's not what I do every day. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, take what you do every day and translate it to a jazz piano trio approach. My guest, pianist Ted Firth, from his CD Starting Now, with David Fink on bass and Mark McLean on drums. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Ted decided to record standards on his first CD, playing the songs he plays most often in his musical life, rather than do something radically different. After I made the record, and I went through it, I realized that... With the exception of a couple of songs on there, that um, each each song on there was inspired by a singer that I work with. There's a couple of exceptions, a couple of things. But, but that's wonderful. As I went through, I was like, well, I associate this song with this person. And, and, and I just loved the song when I played it with them. And that's kind of how... Yeah. I, that's I a choose, really lovely the, motivation. I didn't, the, I didn't choose the songs that way, but that's kind of how it turned out. After I went on, I was like, well, I associate this with this person, this with this person. I was like, that's, yeah. But that's a lovely organic way to do it. I think that the best creative results are when they come from a natural way like that, rather than somebody thinking, okay, well, let's do a bunch of originals because that's going to sell more or, you know, something like that. This sounds yeah. like this just really developed and it's what you're doing every day. And right. it's why the session went so well, I would think. Oh, yeah. Well, and the other thing is that I didn't make it really with any thinking of it being like a money maker or any mm. of that kind of thing or even doing gigs in support of it or anything like that. I wasn't thinking, okay, I'm done with the accompanist phase of my life. Now I'm going to make jazz records you know it but that's that so wonderful of... because it actually gives you an opportunity you're released 
from all of that. You go in in the purest sense. You go in and you make a record and yeah. you're doing what you do. Yeah. Oh, it was cool. I was still a little nervous, but I was definitely less nervous than if than if I was like, you know, staking my career on it or something. It's hard to be nervous around Jim Zack. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why that's why I recorded <laughs> I love up him. At, that's why I recorded up at, up, up there. I mean, in addition to the fact that it's a, a great studio for just recording, is but the fact that the atmosphere such a nice up there. Tone, yeah. Isn't it is very relaxing to work up there. I've done several singer records up there. I did this up there and it's, you know, he'll appreciate the free advertising, I'm sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> When I was in high school, Lee Shaw turned me on to this, uh, to this. It was, I think it was a bi-monthly publication called The Jazz Piano Stylist. And uh, I believe you did some writing for that oh. one. <laughs> and so oh, I would play yeah. through. At that point, I was a much stronger reader than I was improviser. So the fact that everything in that magazine was written out was a real plus. And I also remember in the back of it, in the in the ads, there used to be like you had a book out for a while, and and I remember, and I ordered it, and I and I got, it. I've got it somewhere in my house. I gotta, I gotta I'm dig it out. I'm terribly flattered. I tried to play something. It was beyond me. I was like, <laughs> stride piano's hard. So, you know, it still they is. they they pounded me over the head trying to get me to do those books, and it was because the publisher wanted to learn how to play stride piano. And I said, oh, I don't have time to do this. I can't do it. I'll, I'll never do it. And he said, well, start writing articles for us. And the next thing you know, you'll have a book. And I thank that guy all the time. when I, It's Ed Shanafee. Okay. And I thank him for talking me into writing for those magazines and doing it. Because it, it, as we're saying, you get the gig. It makes you do it. Right, right, And right. it made me think very differently because I'd never written it out. And I actually worked with... Uh, an orchestrator and I said because I was doing all this and he notated so much right. better than I did but he said you know that won't those harmonies won't work if they play it slowly you play it fast and I learned so much hmm. because actually slowing some of that stride down and now you telling me this I'm terribly flattered I know uh, no, well, I hear that somebody I was just because I was through it because during when I was as I was putting this together I was just thinking about what I won't, we could talk about I realized that you know that those were things that I played out of all those 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 I remember looking forward to those magazines because there was you know there was stuff that I could play and it sounded pretty good and I didn't have to improvise anything. I could just read it and it sounds like jazz. <laughs> oh, um, that's great. But I remember, and I just remember that, uh, you know, because I ordered that book. I, I, I ordered any book I could get my hands on and, right. and so much of it was, was beyond my, either my abilities or my comprehension at that point. But that was one of the ones I got. So arranging, you were talking about other great arrangers. I know that you're arranging all the time. And was that something that you 
early on thought I'm going to be an arranger because I do find that arrangers often hear differently. They listen differently because mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of arrangers than players who right. don't arrange. And, right. and I don't mean the, the normal arranging like I'm arranging for my group, but arranging right, right, like right, we're talking right. about. Yeah. So was that something you knew right away or how did you get into that? Not really, but it was always something that uh, it was always something that I think I had a subconscious interest mm. in. Um, I played trombone when I was a kid, so I understood the mechanics of playing an instrument other than the piano. But when I found myself working for these singers, I found myself, at least in the most basic sense of arranging, having to take a song and just come up with a either a different treatment of it or that kind of thing. And, and I kind of enjoyed that. But even more so, I was listening to these records with larger groups, you know, with string sections and in some cases full orchestras or big bands and that kind of thing. I was just really intrigued by, the, I'd done some big band writing in college. I was really intrigued by the, by the overall, just by the, the sound of it and the process of it. And I, I just, you know, I dug Nelson Riddle and, um, and, but when I got this, when I got the, the Shirley Horn Here's to Life record, um, Johnny Mandel's writing on that really just, really just, just got me. It just, it, it was, it, I remember sitting on a really hot night in July, like at one in the morning in my old apartment in Astoria, and I just listened to that whole record, I think twice. <laughs> and it was, it was something. A couple years after that, when I was working with Tom Wopat, I'd done some big band charts for him, and, uh, he called me up and he said, I've got, I'm doing some concerts with the Philly Pops. He said, can you take those big band charts and sort of, you know, rig them up for a full orchestra? I said, sure. Not knowing the first thing as to how I was going to do that, but sure. We always say yes, and we figure out how to do it later. Exactly. And so I, I, I did it, and I got to know in the course of that, I got to know the conductor, Peter Nero, who is, you know, obviously world-class pianist, great conductor, and a really great guy. I've had some really, I've, I've only had really phone, I've met him in person once, but I've had, you know, dozens of phone conversations with him, and he's a really great guy. Um, but, so I thought, well, I'll do these charts for Tom, and it'll be fun, and, uh, you know, get, get some, you know, do some full orchestra writing, and, and maybe make a little money. And then after the concert, maybe a month goes by, I get a call from Peter Nero, he says, do you want to do a chart for us for our Christmas concert? I said, sure. I said, you know, I said, when do you need it? He said, oh, I don't know, four days, five days. Oh, God. Like, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> so I did it. Then like a couple months later, I get another call from Peter. We're going to need five this time. <laughs> That's fantastic. And it's just stuck. And this was back in like late 2003. And, and, and. More or less, I've, you know, I've, I've done a, I've, almost every concert for them since then. There have been a few where they haven't needed anything, but, but most of them, and, and it's been great. And beyond that, I've, I've gotten a chance to work with a couple of other, some of the other singers I've worked with have worked with some orchestras, so I've found myself doing some writing for them, and it's just a much different discipline. When you play, three minutes of music takes three minutes. When you write, three minutes of music takes 15 hours. <laughs> it's just, a, it's such a different discipline. Uh, um, but, but, but you really I really do it. enjoy it. And the, I'll tell you, there is nothing like going, I've been able to go down to Philadelphia a couple of times to hear my stuff played. And there is nothing like sitting in an audience. I mean, I've also, I've heard my stuff played while I was playing with the orchestra. And that's, that's great too. But there's nothing like just sitting in an audience 
you have nothing to do with the music making going on on stage other than that they're reading your notes. And to sit back and hear a band of that caliber play your stuff, that's, that's pretty cool. Oh. That's, that's, that's something. So I, I enjoy doing that an awful lot. It's, and you you said that you didn't know how to do that kind of thing. How did you I, teach yourself how to do? I didn't. Yeah. It's a big difference writing for a big band and writing for an orchestra. It is a it is a big difference. String writing in particular, and string writing in particular is a much different discipline than big band writing. Big band writing, actually, if you think of if you think of I mean, brass writing, if you think of the trombones as your left hand, and you think of the trumpets mm. as your right hand, and you just take some good piano four note piano voicings. You can write a big band chart pretty easily. Um, orchestra writing is much different. It's much more, I find it to be much more linear. You have to mm. think in terms of how the various lines work, especially with string writing. And, and, and honestly, I didn't, I, I, I took some big band arranging in college and that helped me with that. But the string writing, I sort of pretty much taught myself, I kind of picked that up on my own. And, and the, the best thing to do is just, it's like an open book test. The answers are already written down for you. Go get some scores by Ravel. Go get some scores by Copeland. Go get some scores by Stravinsky. And if you hear something cool, stop the CD, look at the score, say, all right, who's doing what right now? Why does this sound cool? And then it's just a matter of like kind of mentally cataloging all of these, you know, cool sounds that you've heard and when to use them and that kind of thing. So that's kind of kind of how I do it. And, I, and I'm constantly listening. I listen to a ton of classical music on the radio um, just because there's just so much so much great orchestral music and, and that kind of thing. And I constantly hear stuff that gives me ideas and that kind mm. of thing. So that's that's kind of how I built up a, you know skills at that. And then it, then the other thing is just getting it done quickly. Yeah. <laughs> that's just being good, being fast. <laughs> well, it's just that's sometimes it's more being fast than being good, but um, you got to get them you got to get them paper as quick as possible. And since then I've when you do this enough, you you develop, you you know how if you have to write in a certain amount of time, there there's just things you know you have to do to to get it done. You know, you can't agonize over a certain thing. And and it's funny, I've developed a pretty good internal sense of time of knowing how much time I can take to like really work on something whereas how much time if I just have to do like a just a, a plow through it kind of mm. chart and, and, and get it to sound as good as possible but they just need it and that kind of thing so well I am thrilled that you had the time to do this in oh, the this midst of all these things this in is... between writing like mad and it's well, I just finished. I just finished an arranging thing for the Palm Beach Pop so to me this feels like a vacation day I've got like <laughs> after this I got a couple of rehearsals but you know when I'm going through one of those arranging things I'm, I'm going I mean I carry my laptop around with me and then I'll duck into a Starbucks for 20 minutes and you know and and do some writing so so once when I'm between those projects sometimes especially right after it it feels very relaxed I know isn't it great and it's perfect because Tony Desaire is the person that I heard when I heard his CD that I first heard you okay so that's actually in a way how we got together as well so it's great so thank you so much I really I'm a huge fan and I'm glad you're here thank you you've been listening to pianist Ted Firth I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com. 
Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD Trio. I'm on piano with my Cashamon sax and Chris Flory on guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com. To find out more about what I'm doing in my music, visit judycarmichael.com. Special thanks to Stephen Linda Plotnicki, Gilda and Henry Block, the Walsh Family Foundation, and our webmaster, Megan Lewis. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by the American Hotel, Sag Harbor, New York. Visit online at theamericanhotel.com. And from Jazz Festival Brazil, Brazil's largest jazz festival presented in eight cities across the country. Visit jazzfestivalbrazil.com.br for more information.